0: Make sure you follow us on social media Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And with that, let's continue with your show.
1: The more we think about it, the more we are convinced that automation forces us to revisit, reevaluate, and rethink some of the fundamental building blocks of society. Automation has been responsible for making businesses and systems resilient across industries, be it automated testing a software firm or automated marketing at companies. It may feel like giving up a complete control over a set of tasks, but in the bigger picture, it's about capturing the entire command. In this episode, we interact with Dr. Panduran Kamath, Chief Technology Officer of Research and Innovation at Persistent Systems. He shares his experience in technology research development and innovation. He also talks about how technology helps in building resilience in a company and in enhancing empathy. On our journey of discovering designering, let's talk with him today on automation building resilience. Hello Mr. Kamath, welcome to Avantika Designering series. It's a pleasure to host you on our show. Thank you. Uh, Good morning and welcome to be here. Mr. Kamath, as an icebreaker, how has remotely working impacted your leadership or direction to your team members, especially on research end, where collaboration is a very key ingredient? So do you think it has affected at all? It hasn't
0: affected at all? Or do you think uh, remote working can become a new norm? Sure. Uh, That's a great question. I think uh, in case of my team particularly uh, you know we, we were distributed a little bit already but there were still you know still some s- clusters and not entirely everybody working remote our company persistent systems kind of uh, executed a very well all remote move within the first week of the lockdown and we have been fully remote for the last uh, multiple months it took the team a little bit of time to get adjusted to the uh, complete remote collaboration, remote development, remote uh, brainstorming. But I think with certain software tools and we've all heard of the uh, rise of Microsoft Teams and Zoom and the other collaboration tools in this lockdown, with the help of those tools, I think the team has done an amazing job. It's more credit to them than anything that I did. It has certainly become the new norm. And to me, uh, you know, while there are challenges of a little bit of individual isolation at home a little challenge still with uh, whiteboarding equivalent, well, despite all the digital tools available i think it's uh, still a good thing because it opens us up to the possibilities of a global workforce right uh, like never before and that possibility always existed but there was a uh, always this resistance to try and do that but i think with this full remote working we've we've got people joining new teams, new companies, uh, right from day zero and day one as a remote employee and working, things are working out fine. So I think that opens up new possibilities for us. I'm optimistic with that. Uh,
1: I think it's it's an interesting uh, new normal that all of us are going through and a lot of new things that all of us are learning. Uh, so Mr. Kamat, while uh, we go through your profile on LinkedIn and your journey, You've been fascinated with the world of research all, all your life. So did you plan this and what excited you about research
0: and development so much? Yeah, so you one thing that I have learned is, you know, you can't really plan the exact details of your life or career, <laughs> but you can work at certain things that make uh, the likelihood and the probabilities of good things happening to you higher. Right? So you can work at building excellence in uh, yourself and uh, what you do and your work product uh, and creating circumstances that put you in good situations. And the other thing then is do not try to be on a linear path because some of the most interesting careers uh, end up having very non-linear and surprising twists and turns. Right? So uh, I have been uh, always fascinated with R&D, not so much as pure research, Uh, and I've liked exploring new things, experimenting, and R&D and innovation requires that, right? But there is different um, spectrum of research. I think there is pure research, fundamental research that advances science further. There is applied research uh, that takes that pure research and then uh, applies it to solve real-world problems, and then there is taking that applied research and building innovative solutions. So my particular interest and expertise and Uh, you know, work over the last few years has been in the latter two, right? Not so much on the pure research side. And I think it came about fairly organically. I started as a developer like everybody else, and eventually kind of uh, kept on doing things that I was good at. And uh, that turned out to be where I got to today.
1: Interesting. Uh, So that brings me naturally into our next question. From your passion to your professional journey, can you share with our listeners your professional journey till date?
0: So I have a engineering degree in uh, computer science or computer engineering uh, from Goa University. Then I did my master's. Uh, I went uh, to U.S. and did my master's there at NJIT. Uh, from there, I started looking for jobs. job, actually. And, uh, turned out I was not really great at interviews because I wasn't getting any. So... After a few tries, I incidentally happened to uh, meet a uh, Wall Street uh, hedge fund uh, investor who was looking to start a financial services startup. Right, so, and uh, I had done some good work that I put up online at the time. So he re- reached out, we spoke and we started a financial services startup out of his apartment, Right, me, a friend of mine and, and this guy, three of us. So we built some very good product for direct access trading, we raised some funding. Uh, you know, ran this thing for two years. It was a very interesting experience because uh, you know, I, uh, as a programmer, we were trained to do programming. But then here, as a startup, we had to do system administration. We had to assemble the servers. We had to wear a suit and do business meetings. Uh, so it was a fascinating journey for a couple of years. And then the the downturn of the year two thousand hit, and we had to shut down. That's where I joined Bell Labs. Uh, in New Jersey, again, uh, doing a lot of very different work right, from financial services startup to uh, embedded systems and networking and research and all of a completely different type of work. So did that for a couple of years uh, and then joined my PhD uh, program at Rutgers University, Uh, spent about four, four and a half years there. Uh, that was in, uh, again, a slightly different field in wireless networks and security and privacy. So again, another uh, turn, if you will. And then with that degree in hand, I joined IAC Search and Media and particularly their search engine now, right? ask.com. So that was again, yet another turn and going from a PhD in wireless security to uh, building core search capabilities in a search engine completely uh, different reality, uh, nothing to do with my PhD at all. Uh, and then from there, within Oscar, moved on to analytics and built out their entire big data platform uh, with a few other people within the company. And then from there, the journey led me to Persistent uh, when I returned to India. And I've been with Persistent in the uh, CTO office since uh, 2012 or so, eight years now. And here, uh, we get to do a much broader set of, uh, you know, very interesting things, everything from AI to blockchain to uh, augmented reality to uh, human, uh, different kinds of human machine interactions, uh, all kinds of interesting, including some life sciences research as well. So that's uh, basically been the journey. And as you can see, I alluded to this earlier. Uh, Some of the more interesting experiences happen to be very non-linear. uh, not a straight line. So that's how it's been. That's very well put down. Um,
1: in fact, Mr. Kamath, as a researcher, do you evaluate all products and innovation from various vantage points? Uh, is it the only way to build robust uh, products that solve real problems? Sure.
0: Yeah. So I think absolutely. So the way we approach the Team that I lead, the way we approach is with the technology hat on. Typically, uh, you know what is going on in the world of technology, what are the breakthroughs coming out. But once we have understood uh, some of the key technology trends that are happening, the focus is always then to shift your perspective and figure out how does this solve a business problem, right? Or how does it create a new experience? So, is this making is this something we can leverage? to build something that will make things faster, cheaper, better uh, in in an enterprise or for a customer or a consumer of our uh, customers, right? Is it gonna change uh, the way people go through their digital journey uh, in a particular uh, uh, user journey or workflow, if you will, right? Is it gonna create new exciting and uh, intuitive experiences that will help people get uh, their tasks done faster in a more serendipitous way, right? Can it create ambient experiences that are sticky? So in the end, so this is the second perspective after looking at what are the technology breakthroughs, then look at what problems it can solve, what experiences it can create. And then we look around uh, to build uh, these solutions from these technologies, take them to our customers, figure out what the feedback is before we proceed on the journey. Absolutely, you've got to have multiple perspectives. Absolutely, you've got to always think in terms of how can technology benefit uh, and in a real world and not just look at it in the abstract. So that's, that's how we operate. So uh, moving further ahead, first
1: of all, congratulations to Persistent Systems, uh, you, your team for completing uh, three decades of journey. And that brings me to my next question is, can you tell us about your work there and the culture
0: in the organization and your teams? So, yes, it is. it has been a good year. We've, we've completed 30 years, uh, You know, and uh, our basic uh, theme at Persistent is that we build digital solutions for enterprise customers as well as help companies build digital products. Right? We started 30 years ago as a uh, database engineering company uh, helping some of the world's biggest software companies is build data uh, oriented products. Uh, from there, we created our own category called uh, offshore product development, right? And our DNA has always been around technology and product engineering. So over time, we have uh, metamorphosed into what we are today, which is building digital solutions for enterprises as well as for independent software companies. Uh, and uh, it came about uh, very nicely for us because every company has become a software company today. right? And there was a quote I read recently that said, uh, you may not be in the software business, but soon somebody in the software business will be in your business. Uh, and that's, uh, that's kind of worked out well for us because we help companies become software companies. Um, and towards that, one of the things we have been fostering is a culture of uh, innovation and hackathons internally as well as with our customers that help us uh, not only identify the right kind of talent and surface that talent within our company but also encourage them uh, you know keep people engaged uh, and also drive value both for ourselves and our customers so that is uh, something we do through our internal uh, hackathon events as well as we run hackathons for customers we recently Uh, also did this uh, whole uh, Smart India Hackathon Uh, we've been doing that for the last four years we are a co-organizer with the government of India uh, in running the largest innovation event in the world, right, almost uh, about 10 lakh students have been engaged over the last four years in the Smart India Hackathon program something that Persistent Systems runs jointly with the government of India so we are very proud of that culture of innovation and hackathon that in turn uh, feeds very Into our business strategy and our vision and our differentiator.
1: This is amazing. For the seventh consecutive year, Persistent Systems has been named a leader in two Zinov Zone categories consumer and enterprise engineering. And recognized as a leader in user experience and platform engineering. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, while you touch upon uh, hackathon, uh, you know as as a interesting way to identify innovations. Uh, in fact, hackathons have proved to be ground for new ideas and. Uh, Uh, persistent as you said that has been consistently supporting those initiatives. The question that I have uh, with respect to hackathons are what are some of those unique qualities of the participants that you see standing
0: out while they participate in such initiatives? That's a a great question Um, and I recently actually wrote a little bit about this uh, in in an article. uh, I forget where it was published uh, but uh, this this is something that you know we actively look for uh, as we run these hackathon uh, initiatives because hackathons bring people of diverse talents together. So an engineer has to collaborate with a designer. Uh, uh, a designer may have to also collaborate with a product manager. Uh, plus there will be you know maybe functional or vertical experts and domain experts who might be in the team. Uh, and then within programmers, there'll be front-end teams, back-end teams, all of these different people, the data a person collaborating with each other, right? So collaboration is one of the uh, hallmark traits that emerges out of this in successful teams and is also something we look for in successful teams, right? Uh, and the reason it is enhanced is because in hackathons, you're working under a constrained time frame. You're working under the challenge of sometimes not uh, having worked previously with all of your team members. So it really, really brings out uh, your ability to do such a collaboration very well. So that is uh, number one. The second thing is we look for teams that can design with the end user journey in mind. You know, A lot has been talked about uh, design thinking over the last decade um, and hackathons is a great way to see what people build are they really adhering to that principle are they looking at this not just as a great piece of technology we are putting together but uh, looking at it as a solution we are building and who are the personas that will use this solution how will it benefit them how will it change and improve their journey right and their experiences the teams that do that successfully end up doing well at these hackathons so that is uh, the other thing the third is Overall, taking uh, a multi-dimensional, uh, you know, hats, if you will, in the hackathon, generally the teams are small, so people have to do more than one job. Right, so it's the ability of an individual to be dynamic, uh, to pitch in and do what is required to go from a concept to a solution in a very short time window. And hackathons run anywhere from as low as eight hours to up to two days, right? So this is not a whole lot of time. Uh, And then the last part, particularly from a technologist's point of view, is that uh, these hackathons are a breeding ground for people to try out new things, to learn new things. Every year in Persistent, uh, when we run our global hackathon, we find that people use this opportunity to pick up and learn the latest in artificial intelligence, machine learning, cloud, uh, uh, in uh, new types of uh, interfaces, and then bring that to bear. And we often, not only do we suggest certain real world problem, but we also leave the field open to ask people, what is it that you think needs solving and you want to solve? So we also see their passion for solving real world problem come to forth and come out with very interesting solutions, uh, whether it is uh, how to make uh, help uh, you know visually impaired people make sense of their environment uh, to, uh, collaborating on medical records using intelligence and improving clinical outcomes, you see the whole spectrum of solutions come out that way. So I think that passion for learning and passion for building is another trait that emerges uh, very well out of hackathons. Interesting
1: and and, uh, well put together uh, in terms of all the activities that any participant at a hackathon would do. So moving from hackathon, uh, Mr. Kamath is... uh, to one of your interviews where you explained how automation is the key uh, for firms in building resilience. Now, while we talk about the current situation of pandemic, it's disrupting activities across domains. Can you share a use case where technology has played a vital role in building resilience in a company or a domain?
0: Sure. I think, uh, I guess the most... uh obvious example that comes to mind, right, is when this pandemic hit, one of the places that, uh, or one of the industries that was quite overwhelmed immediately was the uh, medical industry. As uh, in areas that saw an emergence of cases, people uh, overwhelmed the uh, the hospitals and the clinics and uh, doctors and nurses and medical staff had to figure out which ones are the ones that need attention, how to do the triage. Uh, And then you saw both in India, uh, everyone has heard these messages when we used to make phone calls about, uh, you know, what is COVID-19, how to see if you have had symptoms, people came out with apps for self-diagnosis. So automation became a uh, tool that you could leverage to handle this uh, influx or barrage or flood of potential patients trying to reach out to medical professionals, right? There were uh, digital front door solutions that were launched, including by us, by the way, in certain markets in North America, uh, where uh, hospitals told patients that the first point of contact instead of being a human being was an automated bot that walked them either through a chat interface or through a voice interface, walked them through their symptoms, what they were experiencing, and help triage the patients that were probably not uh, COVID patients or even non-COVID patients, which are the emergency cases that require immediate attention, which can wait, which can be redirected elsewhere, or even within a large hospital, how do you direct the patient to the right place? All of this being done uh, without using the already scarce and overwhelmed uh, manpower, if you will, right or uh, person uh, requirement human requirement so that was an example where both uh, you know all kinds of technologies from conversational bots to artificial intelligence to uh, automation came in handy uh, to build resilience in the frontline hospital setups and create a digital front door uh, as we like to call it right for managing all that and that's that's i think a great example uh, of accelerated innovation in a highly regulated industry that is usually very, uh, you know, cautious in adopting many of these, uh, we saw a rapid adoption of this type of innovation. So, Mr. Kamath, in fact, there is a school
1: of thought that as technology continues to augment more and more of our human capabilities, there's a hope that technological tools and processes evolved will fade so deeply into the background that they will nearly disappear. And ultimately, people will be able to do more with technology, but also spend less time with technology itself and more time doing the things they love. What is your view on this actually happening? I think
0: I agree with what uh, you described. In fact, uh, that is how it should be. And uh, uh, one of the phrases we use internally is this uh, phrase called ambient intelligence. right? And we see flavors of this already. Uh, around us and to some degree uh, mostly maybe in the western world but also uh, you know not entirely unknown to the india market right we uh, we have uh, devices that adjust temperatures around the rooms we operate in based on how many people are present or having learned the habits of uh, the occupants of that particular building or the house right A very famous example of some of this came out of this Nest uh, thermostat that began as basically a thermostat in the house, but has eventually, after acquisition by Google, become more of an ambient intelligence for the home, where there are devices around the house that coordinate everything from your security cameras to uh, uh, turning appliances on and off, making sure your electrical consumption is monitored, regulated, Uh, to uh, learning when people arrive at home and automatically preheating, pre-cooling homes and so forth. Um, Then uh, these devices, instead of operating in isolation, are coordinated uh, over a digital channel, right? Your lights get turned on and off based on a sensor and so forth. Uh, uh, We have vehicles now that have a similar ambient intelligence experience where, depending on who's sitting uh, and who's driving, They can, uh, using biometric, recognize the driver, passenger, and adjust seats, uh, adjust temperature, can bring up uh, the right kind of song and music on the radio or uh, channels uh, that you like. So, all of these experiences, you know, in the vehicle, coordinating with, for example, your calendar and sending you alerts about uh, whether you're going to be late for a particular meeting or a personal commitment somewhere else, and you've got to start moving, giving you the best route all of these things are happening without human intervention. Right? Many of these uh, things will take some time, but I think eventually the goal should be that uh, humans should just be uh, finding the benefits of technology around them without having to actually intervie- uh, intervene uh, and configure and customize everything manually themselves. So I absolutely think that's the way to go and that's where we will end up. Do you know Persistent
1: Systems has achieved Amazon Web Services' Software as a Service competency status. The designation recognizes that Persistent has demonstrated deep experience helping organizations design and build SaaS and cloud-native solutions on AWS. Wow, interesting. Uh, Looking forward to experiencing uh, these times ahead as well. Uh, You know, moving further ahead in the world of technology, uh, my question is, has technology enhanced our ability to express empathy and kindness? In fact, instant messaging allows us to keep in touch without a passing thought. It can transform intention into action with a few taps, lowering the barrier to communication and allowing us to reach out when we need. So what's your view on this?
0: So this, this is a tough question, uh, A, because uh, I don't have hard data to answer it, but also because the anecdotal examples are, you know, on uh, all parts of the spectrum, if you will. Uh, the more vocal narrative uh, at oftentimes seems to be that technology and particularly social media has uh you know instead of helping us have uh, has made us more of a part of bubble has led us astray with the amplification of fake news has turned us into bullies and digital mobs at times right and sometimes rightly sometimes wrongly targeting people based on comments people make or uh, what actions have been attributed to them uh, i think uh, the other thing that has uh, happened is with the the kind of instant communication, our networks themselves are expanded. So previously, if somebody knew, you know, twenty people around them, today we know tens or hundreds of people, both in our personal and professional networks. So while it has been made easier to reach out and connect, uh, it is also made our lives busy enough that it is harder to stay in touch. So I see, uh, you know, both kinds of things happening. Uh, digital channels make it very easy. For people to rally around a cause and help out as well, so expressing our empathy, like you said, uh, has become easier from that perspective. Recently, there was this news about uh, you know, and we we hear these type of uh, incidences every uh, few weeks, right? Some vendor in Indore whose uh, cart was uh, destroyed by the local police. Uh, that video went viral, and help came from. Uh, people all over the world, right? Instantly raising many fold the amount of money that person lost, including taking care of their future education and so forth. So that is again, something technology has enabled and something that wasn't possible maybe 10 or 15 years ago, right? So we have uh, both uh, types of examples uh, of technology making it easier for us to express empathy and also making us a little more insulated about empathy. I think the important thing for us to understand is digital actions have real consequences. People need to realize that. People need to be getting better at weeding out misinformation, which is the single largest threat I see to this digital revolution and how it impacts humanity. Uh, Misinformation has emerged as a massive threat with the advent of uh, AI-generated fake images and fake videos and fake audios, this problem is going to get harder. Um, and We see all of this on, on the various WhatsApp groups that we are on. But I think uh, over time, uh, we will learn to com- combat this and hopefully harness technology to do uh, good things rather than bad. So there was a uh, joke I read a few uh, couple of years ago when uh, that game, uh, uh, I forget the name of the game where you launched, uh, pigs into birds or birds into pigs, right? Uh, The joke was that uh, the power in our phone was many times the power that the first uh, mission to moon had. And while NASA used that much computing power to put man on the moon, uh, we are using (laughs) 10 times or 100 times the power to just launch birds into pigs. So we got to move out of that mindset and figure out how to harness this technology as well. So that's, that's how I feel about it.
1: So Mr. Kamath, uh, you know, you started your previous answer uh, with a word called as data. And I, and I wish to ask you my next question on, on, on that concept. So data plays an important role in design. In fact, with data, it's important to ask, why are we using it and what's the purpose of the goal and further design around it? My question is, uh, in your view, uh, what's your view on using data to design and its impact? Sure, I
0: think this is a great question. And my view is actually you've got to find a balance between using data and uh, using intuition. Uh, And I'll elaborate why, right? So we've had uh, historically two very uh, major case studies in this uh, world of technology, Apple and Google, who kind of take uh, different paths or are on different sides of the spectrum. Uh, google is uh, famous for doing design by data running hundreds or thousands of ab tests if you will on everything from the uh, size of a font whether it should be you know 5 pixels wide versus 7 pixels wide to which shade of blue and white uh, combination they should use in a particular logo and and determining which is the right design to engage Uh, users and to retain users and so forth. Whereas Apple is well known for its intuitive designs that uh, often come out and completely disrupt uh, the entire way we look at uh, and interact with uh, software or hardware, right? Uh, And both have been successful in their own right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think uh, the caution here is not everything can be entirely based on data and google's had uh, some very famous uh, failures as well right right from so their social networking forays to uh, their uh, uh, collaboration uh, and particularly uh, conference software forays which haven't worked out very well uh, and on the flip side you know we know not everybody can replicate the intuition and genius of somebody like steve jobs So you can't uh, just rely on one, I think, Uh, but at the same time, intuition plays an important role because otherwise, instead of getting a a car, we would have just had a faster uh, horse buggy, if you will, right? People uh, need intuition to dramatically change the course of uh, human experience and dramatically alter the course of design and technology. And that's why I think it it plays a major role as well, so I don't know if that answers the question or is helpful, but I think uh, you need a mix of both.
1: No, absolutely. I think it definitely um, highlights the opinion on how data can be used uh, in a systematic format uh, create more valuable uh, output out of the design. So, moving from there to another interesting area of technology, which is uh, uh, you know the world of Cyber security. but I, I have an interesting um, question around that. It is said that what we all need in cybersecurity is not firewall, but an immune system. So it's it's not a binary question of whether the system is secure or not, but a question of degree of how vulnerable, how healthy, how well protected the system is. Now having a, be, you know, you having been a part of the cybersecurity world,
0: What's your view on uh, uh, this thought process? Sure. I think uh, this is a trend that we have been witnessing in the cybersecurity space for more than a decade and has accelerated over the last uh, maybe four to five years, uh, which is, uh, and it was partly driven by the, the change in the way consumers adopted technology, how the lines inside an enterprise or a business uh, blurred from personal and uh, work-related uh, technology and device intersection. So today, if you see most organizations, the, there is no uh, traditional perimeter of any kind where you could deploy a firewall and be safe. Right Today, your employees, uh, your partners, vendors, your supply chain, your distributors, uh, all are engaged digitally into an organization and they often bring their own devices, connect to your network and so forth. So there is no perimeter to defend. So one has already moved on beyond a single firewall to exactly the analogy you gave, which is an immune system, which is the ability to detect when things are abnormal and then react uh, quickly to that, right? And the way uh, this has been helped tremendously is the advances in artificial intelligence in correlating seemingly benign events to understand that something anomalous is happening, and a classic example to make this real is, uh, you know, there could be a, uh, uh, a a user called Rohit who has legitimate access to certain files in the company, and so if you use traditional security, once Rohit is uh, authenticated, Rohit would be allowed to access that data. But then, if you find that Rohit suddenly is logging in at 3 a.m. and instead of Pune logging in from uh, you know some other country uh, far away and pulling out two terabytes of data, which he has legitimate access to according to access control, the immune system analogy of a defense would flag that, would stop that, right? Despite having the right access. And that's exactly what we need today and what all of the security software that you see has shifted to today. And this is also true for your personal devices. And this is also true when you log into a bank, for example. Ask, uh, they fingerprint your browser, right? And your your laptop or your computer and ask you certain questions when they find that you're logging in from a different system or when you've upgraded your system and they no longer recognize it. This is the kind of thing called anomaly detection or intelligent anomaly detection that has now become the norm in cybersecurity. So you're absolutely right on that. We've been talking about building an
1: immune system uh, for ourselves. We are also talking about immune system for our data and uh, for our tech tools as well. In fact, you know, while talking so much about technology, artificial intelligence, cloud, robotics, 3D printing, uh, AR, VR, blockchains, all of these are emerging technologies and transforming our lifestyles. What are the other significant technologies that you can share with us that are advancing that we see to accelerate and unfold? before our eyes in, in, in the next few, uh, in the next few years.
0: Sure. So, um, there are three trends I want to call out, but I'll, I'll pull one from your list already, because I think it's important from the entire list that you mentioned, I think artificial intelligence is uh, the number one, uh, from all of those in terms of the massive impact it is already having on our lives and it will continue to have, and it's a, uh, it's one of those horizontal technologies that will impact everything from uh, the way we do business, the uh, way we drive or transport things, to compute, to uh, medical, everything, right? Uh, so that is one of the biggest technologies. The second thing is quantum computing. Uh, the way the emergence of transistors and uh, change the way we computed from mechanical devices to digital computers, if you will, quantum computing is going to revolutionize computing uh, by an order of magnitude, right, in a similar way. And uh, this is uh, no longer a a very distant pipe dream, if you will. You've had breakthroughs over the last 24 months, for example, that show hope uh, in terms of simulators and uh, both algorithms that can leverage quantum computing to Uh, over uh, showing the improvement that quantum computing has, dramatic improvement over classical computing. Uh, One of the challenges uh, within quantum right now that still needs to be addressed is the physical element of it or the hardware side of things. Building stable, scalable hardware for computing remains uh, the ultimate challenge and there are some barriers of physics that we are hitting against, but I think those will get solved and this will revolutionize computing uh, for us. And the third thing that will have a really big impact, I believe, is the intersection of digital and biology. Right? So from everything from studying and analyzing the human genome to creating precision medicine uh, for a particular person and their particular variant of the disease they're combating uh, to creating completely new materials which uh, are which help with the aim of sustainability uh, of humanity as a race, right? And, and the impact we're having on the earth. I think the intersection of digital and biology is going to have uh, a very big play in the coming decade. So those are my three trends. Uh, so Mr. Kamat at
1: uh, Avantika University, we coined a term called as designering where uh, the world of design and um, engineering blend. My question to you is, do you think these two thoughts can
0: converge on one page and and what's your view on our philosophy? Well, I think it's uh, it's a great philosophy. I see this every day that, uh, you know, we have more and more design teams and technology teams and engineering teams working together. And when I say technology, it shouldn't be limited just to digital technology, the kind that I work in or persistent work. In. Everything from building bridges to an access ramp into a building, uh, to uh, building the technology that uh, enhances our lives, I think design has already become front and center. And particularly human-centric design has emerged as uh, the number one way to go about doing things. And we have seen time and again that products uh, that factor that in in their building journey, uh, the human-centric design, always end up uh, you know doing better or have a higher chance of succeeding than those that don't so i think absolutely it's important that these two concepts converge and either within a team or like you are trying to do within an individual it's always going to create a, you know a better uh, workforce for the future thank you that was a, a
1: very interesting validation to our thought process and we also hope that we are able to create a positive impact Uh, by blending both these approaches. Uh, Mr. Kamath, it was a pleasure hosting you on our show. I'm sure that our listeners uh, will learn a lot uh, from your conversation and uh, they'll also definitely reach out to you on social media if they have further questions. Thank you so much for joining us on Avantika Design Hearing Series.
0: It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hey there, we hope you enjoyed our show. Do write to us on ads at the rate We look forward to your opinions, feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show. Do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hub Hopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter.